All right, welcome. Greetings, come on in. If you're watching online, good morning. If you're watching online for the first time or you're here for the first time, my name's Mark. I serve as one of the pastors, one of the on-staff elders here. And it's my privilege this morning to bring the sermon. And we're starting a new series called Amazing Grace. Uh, it's, a, it's a study in the letter to the Galatians. And I have a couple of resources I want to make you aware of before we uh, hear the text and jump into the sermon. Um, the word, the title, Amazing Grace, comes from the song Amazing Grace. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the author. His name is John Newton. And uh, we have in the bookstore a couple of uh, biographies, a couple of copies of this biography, John Newton from Dis Disgrace to Amazing Grace. I want to encourage you to, this is a great biography, and I want to encourage you just to the regular practice of reading good biographies of people from Christian history. It's very encouraging. So I'll tell you more about his story in a moment. Um, and, um, and Maggie, can we make sure the link for that book goes out in the follow-up email too? Great. Thank you. Um, and then if you want to study the letter to the Galatians, we've got some resources in there. One is just these nice little journals. This is the ESV translation of the letter to the Galatians on one side of the page and then just blank lines on the other that you can fill in as you study. And then we have two commentaries by two of my just like all-time favorite authors and pastors, John Stott, who's gone home to be with the Lord, but he left this wonderful commentary on Galatians, and then Tim Keller, who also recently went home to be with the Lord, uh, Galatians for you. They're both, they're, you can flip through them, they're uh, a little different in, in layout, but wonderfully warm and uh, helpful in, in, and faithful to the scriptures and content, but also uh, in helping you bring it in, into your life. So... There's some, some wonderful resources for you. And this morning, we're just going to look at the first five verses of chapter one. And through that, I want to provide a, a bit of an overview for the letter for you. Jack Flowers is going to read the passage for us. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we begin this series called Amazing Grace, let that be so among us. I pray that you would make grace amazing for the first time, for the thousandth time. I pray through this message this morning and through this series, I pray that your grace would be understood, experienced, sweet, fresh, and amazing through Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe it is true that the best known, most sung song on the planet, at least in the English speaking part of it, the best known, most sung song is this song, Amazing Grace song from which we get the title for our series. And so this morning I want to begin by just telling you a little of the story of the man who wrote this song. His name is John Newton. 
John Newton was asleep in his cabin on a ship. The ship was called Greyhound. And he was suddenly awakened by water rushing into his cabin and the sound of someone shouting, the ship is sinking. The ship is sinking. The date was March 10, 1748, 275 years ago. And this ship was being overwhelmed by a gale as it was out in the Atlantic Ocean. Now, you may have heard John Newton's name as the author of this famous hymn. You may have heard of him because he helped overturn slavery in England. You may have heard of him because he was a well-known and devoted pastor. But on the day that Newton awoke in his ship's cabin, he was none of those things. He was a troublemaker. He was despised by his captain. He was notorious for his drinking and swearing and womanizing. And now the ship was sinking. A violent wave tore a huge hole in the side of the ship and water was pouring into the ship faster than the crew could pump it out. As the crew was frantically trying to save the ship, Newton, part of that effort, he heard himself say out loud these words, the Lord have mercy on us. Now, he'd been brought up in the Christian faith by his mother But she died when he was only six. And he had wandered far from that faith, so far that when he heard himself utter those words, the Lord have mercy on us, he was astonished to hear himself speaking of God with respect. So as they wrestled to save the ship, he began to wrestle with his guilty conscience. And somewhere on that day, he turned to God with saving faith in Jesus Christ. And on that day, the crew was able to keep the ship afloat long enough to eventually make it to land. Newton's growth as a Christian was slow and he had many ups and downs and back and forths in his journey. But 25 years later, he would write this famous hymn, Amazing Grace, the first lines. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. He was a changed man. He was so changed that every year on that day, March 10, he took time to give thanks to God for that amazing grace, for that day that he called his great turning day of conversion. Now, I want to ask you this morning, what power could accomplish this in Newton's life? What power is so great that it could turn a man from drunkenness and anger, troublemaking, and slowly but surely transform him into a kind, gentle, friend, husband, pastor. What power could deliver a man or a woman, not just from the evil outside of us, 
but from the evil inside of us. Right? It's not hard to see the evil outside of us, is it? But what about the evil inside? The lying. Using people for your own advantage. Anger. Greed. Jealousy. Immorality. The letter called Galatians gives us the same answer as John Newton found. The only power in the universe able to accomplish this kind of change is the grace of God that comes to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning, do you know this power? Has grace become amazing to you? Is grace still amazing to you? The grace that became amazing to John Newton, the grace that is so amazing to this congregation that it's our church's middle name, that same grace is the heartbeat of this letter we call Galatians. Galatians exists because God desires all people to be amazed by grace. Galatians is an offer and an invitation to amazing grace. God desires all people to understand grace, to respond to his grace, to experience his grace, and to be amazed by his grace. And so in this series, we will take some 20 messages or so to walk through these six chapters. This series, Lord willing, will take us through the month of March. We'll take a break in December for an Advent series from the book of Isaiah. So this morning, we begin looking at the letter to the Galatians. And I'm going to just look at these first five verses and use them as an opportunity to provide a bit of an overview of the letter as a whole. So let's begin with the author. Look back in verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Paul, an apostle. Well, who's that? Who is Paul? Well, this man describing himself as Paul grew up Jewish with the Jewish name Saul. Paul is his Roman name. He was a Roman citizen. He grew up Jewish, and this man utterly rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Paul dedicated his life to destroying Christianity until the risen Jesus personally appeared to him and called him to be his messenger, to be his apostle. You can read about this, if you'd like, in the book called Acts chapter 9. Now, this mission that the risen Jesus gave Paul was to bring the good news of the gospel of grace to non-Jewish people all over the Roman Empire. So, long before John Newton was amazed by grace, Paul was amazed by grace that he could go from being a persecuted persecutor to being loved by God through Christ. And more than that, He's an apostle. The word apostle means messenger or sent one. And in the New Testament, there is a 
very particular group of 12 apostles appointed by Jesus and one extra one appointed later by Jesus, the risen Jesus, and that would be Paul. There are a few other individuals identified by the word apostle in the New Testament, but their role is a little different. These 12 plus Paul They were not certified by any seminaries. They were not approved by any board of directors. They were directly commissioned for their work by God through Jesus Christ. These apostles were sent with a message. And the message was this gospel of grace. And they were sent to all the nations of the earth. This message was intended to go to every people, every language, every group, every family on earth. And these 12 apostles plus Paul were unique in history. There was no succession plan for them. So Paul introduces himself as Paul, an apostle. And then he uses this phrase that he uses in none of the other letters that he writes. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, this is a unique way that he starts this letter, and there's a reason for that. He's intentional in what he's doing here. What's the situation in these churches? He's writing to a group of churches. Tell you more about them in a moment. But the situation is that after he'd gone to these cities and started these new churches, other people had come in behind him, and they were trying to steer people away from both respecting Paul and from the gospel of amazing grace that Paul had preached. They're trying to change the message. So Galatians exists because God desires all people to be amazed by his grace, and that includes people who've started out as Christians and lost their way like these churches have. Galatians has six chapters. Chapters one and two are really Paul's sort of autobiography. He's talking about himself in order to establish his authority as an apostle so that he can defend his gospel. So as you read through Galatians, the first two chapters are kind of Paul's story, his autobiography. And who are, who's, who's the letter written to? Well, look back at the end of verse two with me, please. It says simply to the churches of Galatia. Now, where are these churches? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Justin was preaching uh, from Acts chapters 13 and 14. And he described how two guys, Paul and Barnabas, were commissioned by the Holy Spirit and the church in Antioch, which is in modern day Syria, just a little north of Israel. And they went out to preach the gospel. And as they went out, they went out to this region circled in red there called Galatia, among several other places. And while they were there, they established some churches in Lystra and Iconium and Derbe. And so it seems as though just a few years later now, Paul is needing to write back to these same churches, churches where people came to faith in Christ when they heard the good news about Jesus and they believed and then they gathered together and then churches were established and elders were appointed. So there were congregations there just like this congregation here. So he's writing to this group of churches in this Roman province called Galatia. So they went out and they're talking to people about Jesus and they're successful. People come to faith But have you ever noticed how sometimes when you're successful with something, it can create some new problems, right? 
You start a business and all of a sudden it's successful and that's great, but you've got some new problems. Somebody starts something called the internet and that's great. People can trade information back and forth and, and communicate much faster than ever before. That's great, but then it creates problems because you can communicate misinformation or cancel culture information back and forth just as fast. And so success sometimes creates new challenges and that's true in church planting as well, and so as they're out preaching and talking to, to non-Jewish people about this Jewish Messiah named Jesus and they come to believe, okay, well, now what happens? Do they need to become Jewish? Do they need to follow all the regulations for Jewish people that are found in the Jewish Bible we call our Old Testament? Do the men need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow these strict dietary laws? Do they need to keep the Sabbath? Do they need to come to Jerusalem three times a year for these festivals? There's a, there's a cultural problem here and there's a theological problem here. And the fundamental question that this gets to, that this letter is all about is this. What must a person do to be saved from their sins? What is the basis for God loving you and accepting you? It's a very important question. Every other religion in the world has a similar answer, and that is God will love you and accept you if you will do something to contribute to that. You need to do enough good works. You need to be good enough in the cycles of reincarnation to eventually uh, escape to nirvana. You need to do something. And you know what? Non-religious people have the same system. It's a self-help system. If I can just do the right things, the good things that I hope for will happen, right? My boss will promote me. I'll have the perfect marriage. I'll be happy and satisfied, comfortable and secure. But you know, if you stop and think about life, the reality is we can never be good enough to meet God's demands or our own standards and the standards we set for others. We need something called grace. And Christianity teaches something that no other religion teaches. Christianity teaches that God loves you and accepts you not based on what you have done for him, but based on you accepting and receiving what Christ has done for you. That's a big difference. Paul writes it this way in chapter 2, verse 15 of this letter. A person is justified, brought into right standing with God. A person is justified not by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul taught these new Christians that they did not have to become Jewish in order to be Christians because that would create a system where you'd have faith in Christ plus becoming Jewish in order to be accepted by God. But after he left, unnamed teachers came in and changed the gospel. And they said, hey, that faith in Christ is great, but you've got to keep all these laws. In other words, let Moses complete what Jesus began. And that's the reason for this letter. Because God, Galatians exists because God desires all people to be amazed by his grace, not by his grace and their works. And so chapters three and four of this letter 
really get to the theology of grace, the theology of justification, the theology of coming into right standing with God, not by works of the law, but through faith. So chapters 1 and 2, Paul's story, defending his ministry and his gospel. Chapters 3 and 4, explaining his gospel. I wonder what chapters 5 and 6 are about. Well, let me explain that in just a moment because we're going to shift on here to verse 3 and the message of this letter summed up right here in the beginning of verse 3. Grace to you. Can you hear those words for you this morning? Just slow down. Grace to you. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. The Apostle Paul never tires of saying grace to you. And may we never tire of reminding one another of these things too. For those who are new to the Bible... Here's a one-word summary of the letter to the Galatians. Grace. Here's a one-word summary of the New Testament. Grace. Here's a one-word summary of the Bible. Grace. Here's a one-word summary of everything the redeeming Grace Church hopes to be. Grace. So what is grace? Well, I want you to notice three things from this little passage here. Three things about grace. First, grace is initiated by God. It's not something you go get. It's something you receive. Look back at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from, origination point, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace, typical Ancient letters started with the word kyren, greeting. Paul switches it to charis, grace. The word grace means undeserved favor and unmerited love. What does that mean? Well, that paycheck that you get on the 1st and 15th of every month, that's not grace, right? You earned that. But if you got sick and had to quit your job and that business owner loved you and kept sending you those paychecks every month, even though you didn't work there anymore, well, that wouldn't actually be a paycheck anymore. That would be grace, undeserved favor and unmerited love. That God relates to people by grace tells us something about him. But you know what? It tells us something about us too. What does it tell us about us? That God relates to us by grace. Here's what it tells us, that we are fundamentally and universally undeserving of his love and care. Every single one of us. Why? Well, look at the next phrase, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Here's the problem coming into view. 
The word for here is an important word. In the Greek, it's the word huper, hyper, and it means on behalf of. If you save your friend's place in line, you're standing there on behalf of her. And when she comes back and you get out of line and she takes her place, you have stood in her place. You have stood there on her behalf. Jesus Christ gave himself on behalf of, in place of, in substitute for our sins. When he died on a cross like that, he took our place and absorbed the full penalty for our rejection of God's authority in our lives and our rebellion against him, God calls those things, that way of living, sin. Jesus didn't die there because we deserved it. He didn't die there because we were pleading with him to do everything and anything he could to save us. He did it by grace, a gift for the undeserving. The Father planned this by grace. The Son did this by grace. The Holy Spirit empowered the Son to accomplish this by grace. And this means our condition before God is not that we are fundamentally good and just needing a little nudge to go in the right direction. This means that our condition before God is that we are guilty and lost and helpless to rescue ourselves. And so out of his great love, he comes to rescue us. When we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, we receive that amazing grace of forgiveness and that undeserved love of justification, of being welcomed by God into his family. And that isn't a one-time, one-moment deal. I loved in Hannah's story, she talked about, well, I turned to God when I was four, and then again when I was 12, and now again when I'm 16. And, and, and God's working in her life at each of those times. And as we come to follow Christ, we find that we can look back and recognize how God works in our lives faithfully and continuously so that Paul can write to these Christians and say, oh, churches in Galatia, oh, brothers and sisters, for you today, right now, in a fresh and new way, grace. And oh, redeeming grace, church, for you right here, now, today, whatever is going on in your life, grace. Because that's the nature of God. Grace isn't just how we start the Christian life. Grace is how we live the Christian life. And that takes us to what comes up in chapters 5 and 6. Chapters 1 and 2 are Paul's story. Chapters 3 and 4 are the theology of the gospel. Chapters 5 and 6 are an explanation or an application of the gospel and how to live in the good of grace in the Christian life. And we close with the last phrase here in chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Why? What's the third thing we learn about grace? It comes from God, saves us from our sins. And why? It's to deliver us from the present evil age. God describes history in two ages. 
this present one and one to come. This one is fallen and broken and evil. Again, I don't think I probably need to convince you of that. Just watch the news for five minutes. That's all you need to do. He comes to rescue us from the present evil age. Jesus has come to set up a new kingdom and to rescue people. This word rescue is a word that means to reach in and pull someone out of trouble. It's used of Paul in the book of Acts when a mob has surrounded him and he's, he's being beaten by these people and, and they've got him and the Roman soldiers have to come and rescue him and deliver him. And that's what God does for each of you. As you come to faith in Christ, he pulls you out of the present evil age. doesn't mean you leave the life on earth right now, but his age to come has invaded this present evil age. And now you have transitioned from one kingdom to another and from one age to another. And we wait for our Savior to return and set up his new kingdom in a new creation. And you know what we'll call that? Paradise. Because it will be perfect. Not evil. All evil will be banished. And all of this is done for our joy and God's glory. To whom be the glory forever and ever. And as we recount and remember and rejoice in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just yesterday, but today and forever, it brings God great glory. For God receives great glory when the Lamb who was slain for our sins is honored as the Lord Jesus, the King of kings and our great King and Savior. God has come, grace has come, Christ has come to deliver us from the present evil age, though he's left us here now as ambassadors to proclaim this good news to our neighbors around us. This is the amazing grace this is the gospel that Paul preached. This is the gospel that we love. This is the gospel that was being abandoned in the churches in Galatia. And in response to the abandoning of the gospel, Galatians was written, written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God desires all people on earth to be amazed by his grace. I encourage you to read this letter and keep reading this letter. And I leave you with this same prayer that Paul sent to the Galatians. Those of you who are home today, no doubt some wishing you could be here but can't be. Those who are here, I don't know the situations that each of you find yourself in this morning, but wherever you are, as you are here today, oh, grace to you. There is fresh grace May you experience the grace of being amazed by the undeserved, never-ending, new every morning love of God for you in Christ. May you experience the grace of freshly being aware of the before and after in your own life. May you experience the grace of knowing that your hope is not in this life and that you've been rescued from the present evil Age. So no matter what happens, you need not fear. 
May you experience God's presence and help in whatever that place of weakness and need is for you today. I was meditating on this this week and I really had my own experience of, of grace, fresh grace this week. During the week, I had a difficult conversation with the person I deeply love and as I woke up the next morning, I just woke up in a dark place. Discouraged, regretful, condemned, guilty, grieving, all these different feelings and thoughts and emotions. I was just, just a mess. I didn't know what to do with it. Leslie and I had this conversation and she was so kind. just didn't know what to do. And she said, well, you might not be able to talk to that person right now. But she said this, but Mark, you can talk to God. I know that. Oh, but that was the grace I needed. As I opened my Bible, it wasn't my daily reading, but I ended up by grace at Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. O Lord, I wait for you. O Israel, hope in the Lord. His steadfast love. And you know, I experienced grace in that morning, in that way. Because God desires every human being to experience his amazing grace. That's the God we know and love and serve and proclaim.